All right, 1 Kings 22. Man, um, by the way, Easter last week was so sweet. And it was so cool just to get together with you guys and to just worship the resurrected Jesus. Now, here's what I notice. It seems like on Easter Sunday, like everyone walking into the room has like this expectation, like, God, you're going to show up. Like, God, you're going to do something today. I mean, this is Easter Sunday. Can I tell you, Jesus is still risen and he still shows up. And this would be the day Thomas, like we talked about last week, like Thomas didn't have his Easter moment till today. And the idea is Jesus still wants to meet us and Jesus still will meet with us. And he might not meet with you on Easter and that's okay. He didn't with Thomas. And my point is like, I want to, as a church, I would love it if every Sunday we approach church like, Jesus, you're still risen. You still want to meet with us. You still want to show up. You still want to save. Like it's not just once a year. Amen. So we want to like go, my prayer and hope is like every week you guys come in like, yes, Lord, do it again. Show up. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday because he still is risen. And uh, how do we now develop and grow those who made that commitment to follow Jesus and are maybe just newer, newer to the church in general? And our hope is like pour into that. But I'm sharing all of that because if you are new or newer, maybe you've missed this. um, We are finishing today the book of 1 Kings. And let me explain. We've been doing this for a while now. Uh, It's a series just called Prophets and Kings. We want to see the gospel in the Old Testament. We want to understand that these different stories, yes, were real people, real events, but it points usually to a greater reality, to the gospel of Jesus in some way. And so we are in 1 Kings 22. Maybe you've never heard of these names. That's okay. Maybe this is all new to you. That's okay. But uh, I just want you to kind of be caught up on what we're doing. Um, growing up for me in the church, I was very confused by like the story of Israel and how they split into two kingdoms and who went where and what kings was with what kingdom. It was very confusing to me. So we try to make it simple. You have Saul, first king of Israel, sort of, King David, his son Solomon. After Solomon, the, the kingdom splits into two kingdoms, right? The northern kingdom is called what? Oh gosh, that's not good. The northern kingdom, what's it called? Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. So if you read that in the scriptures, northern kingdom, even though it's all Israel, northern kingdom like took that name. They're Israel, right? Southern kingdom, you have Judah and Benjamin primarily. The northern kingdom has 10 tribes. Southern has primarily two. And you have the northern and southern kingdom. You have Solomon's son who oversaw at first the southern kingdom, Rehoboam, the first king of the southern kingdom. Then you have Jeroboam, who's the king of the north. Maybe you remember this. There was never a good king in the north. Never. Not one good king of the north. And it's very interesting to me, we'll talk about this. The king that we're focused on now within this is a king named Ahab. Ahab seems to be the most wicked king ever until probably a guy named Manasseh. We'll get to him. But Ahab is a really, really wicked king. And it's, it's interesting to me how so much scripture is dedicated to Ahab. Sometimes the scriptures kind of fly by certain kings and how long they reigned. Sometimes they slow down. And we've been like slow down looking at Elijah prophesying to Ahab. In the southern kingdom at this point in time, you have uh, King Jehoshaphat. Great name, right? King Jehoshaphat, good king. If you're looking for baby names, man, Jehoshaphat is a winner. I really like Jehoshaphat. You have Jehoshaphat. He's actually a good king. His dad Asa was a good king. The southern kingdom has about five good kings, some mixed kings, whether they're like partially good, partially evil, but Jehoshaphat seems to be primarily a good king. We're going to see today Jehoshaphat and Ahab actually kind of work together, which is fascinating to me. And I, and I want us to like see this. I want you to see the big picture. We encourage you guys to read 1 Kings 20, 21, walking into this. But let me kind of explain. Uh, you have Ahab, 
who's just the most wicked king. He, and God is basically being so good and gracious to Ahab. That's what I've been struggling with all week. You have a really wicked king who really did some terrible things, who has his prophets slaughtered after this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, which is under Ahab. You have this wicked king, and God is like continually just being good to Ahab. Basically, the Syrians from Syria come to attack the north, and God is like, Ahab, I'm going to be with you. And God's like, wipe them out. Ahab doesn't listen. He wins a battle once. He wins a battle twice. He's supposed to wipe them out. He doesn't wipe them out. There's punishment now on Ahab, even though there's already been punishment on Ahab, but God's been so good. Why am I saying all this? I want to point this verse out. It's 1 Kings 20, verse 13. God said this to Ahab, the wicked king. He says, have you seen all this great multitude, the Syrians who are here to attack you? He says, behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I want you to see this. God's goal for this wicked king is, I want you to know that I am the Lord. You need to know who I am. Ahab has had chance after chance to know that God is the Lord. He sees fire come down from heaven and consume the sacrifice of Elijah. Like time and time, he saw the drought. There's just circumstance after circumstance that should be really clear to Ahab that Jehovah, that Yahweh, that he is the one true God, not the Baals. And God is time and time again pursuing Ahab. I do not get it, but I'm very thankful that God, if, he, if, he, if you will pursue a wicked person like Ahab, I mean, how much more us, but we're also wicked, but how much more us where God's like, I love you. I want you to know who I am. I'm truly amazed by the, the graciousness of God to Ahab. It makes no sense to me. Now, Ahab defeats the Syrians twice. Ben-Hadad, he's the king of Syria. Everyone say Ben-Hadad. I don't want you to lose. Say Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. He's like, wow, you beat me twice. I'm going to give you your land back. He goes back on that. He lies about it. He said this in 1 Kings 20, verse 34. Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, said to him, the cities which my father took from your father, Ahab, I will restore. Now, he doesn't do that. So here we are, 1 Kings 22. Ahab talks with King Jehoshaphat, king of the what? South, right? So you have the north and king. Like Here's Israel actually coming together again. Kind of like first time. Big deal. Jehoshaphat probably shouldn't be working with Ahab but he is. And you see them working together and going, let's go get Ramoth Gilead. That city's ours. Come on, Jehoshaphat, help me out here. All of that to say, there's prophets saying, yes, do it, take it. And there's one guy, his name's Micaiah. Everyone say Micaiah. Micaiah. There's one guy and he's like, mm, you're going to attack and you're going to die. And Ahab's like, I hate that guy. That guy, Micaiah, just gets under my skin. So here's what we're doing. Why am I doing all that? I want us to look at specifically um, this story, but I want us to look at this guy, Micaiah. He kind of does blow me away in the scriptures. We, we really don't know where he comes from. He's just a prophet. He comes out of nowhere. He's a prophet specifically to Ahab, just like Elijah. There's certain prophets to the north. There's certain prophets to the south. Micaiah's one to the north to King Ahab. And Ahab's like, I just literally hate his guts. But Micaiah will not compromise. So here's the title today. Just an uncompromised man in a compromised world. An uncompromised man in a compromised world. Um, we need men and women like this. Just someone who doesn't matter what you say, you can throw me in jail, you can beat me, you're not going to compromise me. I'm going to speak the truth. And so that's what we see. So that's a, I know there's a long setup. Are you guys okay? You guys still with me? All right, we're going to pray because I don't want to, there's a lot of verses. So we're going to pray and then we'll look at this story more in depth. And I just pray that God will just raise up a generation of people that does not matter what comes my way. I cannot be compromised. 
All right, let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for this Sunday, that Jesus, you are still risen. And that same power that rose you from the grave lives in us, that Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, you said about truth that your truth, that you, Jesus, who are truth, shall set us free. Lord, I thank you for Micaiah being a guy who stood for truth. Lord, I ask that you would raise up a generation of followers of you who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that the message will not be compromised, that they will say the hard thing and do the hard thing despite the consequences. And Jesus, we ask that you would just do something unique today, that you would make us men and women of conviction. So Lord, we look to you, we need you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, I think we've all had those people in our lives that just kind of um, get under our skin or rub us the wrong way. Like just their, their very presence. I don't know if you have anyone like that. Hopefully not now as, as followers of Jesus. But their very presence, even like, oh, they're in the room. Their breathing annoys me. I don't know if you have ever had that. Um, you maybe, I'm just going to get my freshman year of high school. Yes, a high school story, but I got it. There was like my rival, my arch enemy. And I just, I can't even say his name because I feel like it would be Googled and it would be found. So I'm going to call him Todd. I don't know. Todd, freshman year, he comes out of nowhere, moves from a different state. I grew up, this is my school. You got to know basketball. Obviously, you know, this was my thing. Um, he was the only freshman that year, only freshman who made varsity. I was furious. We had a freshman sophomore team. We had a JV team and a varsity team. I made JV. I was like, yeah, freshman on JV. He made varsity. I was like one of two freshmen that made like JV. MVP, JV, but it's still JV. I was so mad. I actually won the MVP trophy. I was so stoked. But Todd, I almost said his name. Todd uh, was the only freshman on varsity. And this was the guy that like everyone loved. Like he was outgoing. He was fun. He was nice. He was tan. He was handsome, like washboard abs. I'm like translucent and just really thin. Oh, I hated Todd so much. My, my, my sophomore year, you know, this was a big deal to me. My sophomore year, my brother and sister both won homecoming prince and princess their sophomore year of high school. His sophomore year, my thought is I got to win it. Sophomore year, he's the homecoming prince. Like, that was my brother, my sister. I needed it my sophomore year. Didn't get it. He got it. Not only that, the girl I liked was the princess that year. And yes, they started dating that year. Oh, Todd, you destroyed me. That's not his name. But he destroyed, just absolutely, I hated this guy so much. Like, he was my rival and, like, the upgrade. Like, he was the 2.0. It was so frustrating. So he's on varsity. He has the girl. I mean, just me and this guy did not get along. Now, good news, right? My, I met my wife my sophomore year. Things started to change. Junior year, we actually became very close friends because it went from like rivalry to like, actually, let's do something. Like, let's win this. Like, let's actually be a really good team. So my end of my sophomore year, junior year, became really good friends. But again, this guy for like a couple years, by the way, did I mention like he taught through the Bible? I went to a study. Everyone loved it. It was just 2.0. It was just terrible. Terrible. Here's the funny thing. When you read this story, we're going to read it in a second. When you read the story of Ahab and Micaiah, it's like Ahab's like, oh, that Micaiah guy, I literally hate his guts. Everything he says, he's, like, he's a, two, a goody two-shoes, and everything he says gets under my skin. And it's just funny, this dynamic, because like, you're going to see him be like, is there any other prophet that can speak into this? It's like, yeah, one guy, but I absolutely despise him. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up, because Micaiah was a very, he's just a unique character. We see him here in Second Chronicles, obviously the same stories being communicated in the Chronicles that are in the Kings very often. You see Micaiah there, but this is like the only real mention of him. He just kind of comes out of nowhere. And honestly, his, just who he is and his presence and what he says and what he does is so powerful and so needed, I think, for 2023. 
He's like, whatever God tells me to speak, I'm going to speak. And I just think he's a really unique character in the scriptures. So here's three points we're going to walk through today, what we're going to see, and it's actually really clear. First thought is this. Um, the multitudes will always say what you want to hear. That's what happens. Number two, the people of God say what you need to hear. Number three, the word of God just does what it says. The multitudes will say what you want to hear. The people of God say what you need to hear. And the word of God, the word of God just does what it says. Whatever it says, it does. So let's look at the first one. Uh, the multitudes say what you want to hear. I want you to see the story, see the context, see the backdrop. First Kings 22, verse 1. You guys ready? Let's do it. First Kings 22, verse 1. It says, for three years, Syria and Israel uh, continued without war. So they won twice, remember? They won twice. Three years, there's peace. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first of the Lord, uh, of the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel, he gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, uh, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. I just love it. It's like a child. He never has anything nice to say. Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah were sitting on the thrones, arrayed in the robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. They're just waiting for Micaiah. And here's what the prophets are saying. Zedekiah, false prophet, uh, verse 11. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenadah, I don't know, it's a fun word, uh, <laughs> made for himself horns of iron and said, thus says the Lord, uh, with these you shall put the Syrians until they are destroyed. You shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. All right, stay with me. You have Jehoshaphat, you have King Ahab. Ahab, king of the north, goes to the king of the south, Remember, these are like brothers, man. The 12 tribes of Israel, they're brothers. They've been separated. 10 tribes up north, two tribes in the south. And he goes, hey, listen, Jehoshaphat, let's be honest. We know that Ramoth Gilead, that's ours. That belongs to Israel as a whole, like all of us. Will you go with me to get it? And Jehoshaphat is interesting. He, he goes, I am as you are. Like my men are your men. My horses are your horses. Um, he, and then he goes, and now let's pray and, let, and let's seek the Lord. All right, I don't know if you noticed that in verse four and five. He just had it backwards the order. He goes, yes, I'm with you. Can we pray? Isn't that fun how we do that? 
It's like, are you in? I'm in, but let's pray and see if the Lord's in this. Like, maybe you pray, then you say I'm in. He had it a little bit backwards. Now, I, I do want to talk about Jehoshaphat for a second, um, because Jehoshaphat is mentioned in 2 Chronicles 19. Listen, he is a really good king, actually. It says he's just like his father, Asa, who's also a really good king. Jehoshaphat is not really like, when I say like mixed, he seems to be primarily a good king. This is the one thing on Jehoshaphat's record. You're like, what are you doing, dude? Why are you going with Ahab? Why do you kind of do the opposite of what Micaiah will say with Ahab? This is the only thing that gets to him. I want to give you some context so you can actually see it. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 19. There's a prophet named Jehu who goes to Jehoshaphat. Here's what he says, just so you understand the context. 2 Chronicles 19. Jehu says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherah out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. That's the context in 2 Chronicles 19. Then Jehoshaphat, even more so, does more for God after that. I was like, okay. He's like called out, and you see him do a lot more for the one true God. And he just he grows in his love for God. But this prophet says, man, what are you doing? You're like helping that person out who hates God? Like, should we love those who hate the Lord? Yes, by the way, we should. What he's saying is, um, you're actually helping a wicked person in the wicked person's cause. What are you doing? This is the one like, thing that doesn't make sense. I have to point this out because everyone really points this out. Je- again, Jehoshaphat, great guy. But he gets into like this unique relationship or business relationship or however you want to define it with a wicked and evil king, and it does not turn out good. Jehoshaphat almost dies in battle. The Lord luckily spares him. But this almost led to the end of Jehoshaphat by getting into basically wrong company or wrong relationship with someone. This is important. Actually, it's, it's actually really fascinating. Jehoshaphat's son will marry um, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. That's not good. They get a deep relationship. Remember, Ahab and Jezebel, like there's not probably a more wicked couple than Ahab and Jezebel. There's just a wicked couple. His son will marry her. He will die in southern kingdom. His son, who, he'll be king. Jehoshaphat's son will be king temporarily. He's going to die. His wicked wife, the daughter of Jezebel, is going to be king or queen momentarily in Judah. And she almost wipes out all of the line of Judah. What does that mean? Through the line of Judah came who? Jesus. I mean, she almost wipes out the Messiah's lineage. Like, that would lead to Jesus. That would would affect us, right? That would really affect us. And that's actually, if you want to know where that is, it's 2 Chronicles um, 22, verse 10 and 11. She basically, when she becomes queen, she's so furious. She's like, let me just wipe out. There's luckily one son who's spared and saved. He's hidden. And luckily through him comes the line of, of David, or the line of uh, David's line to Jesus. The reason why I say this, it all starts with this good guy, good guy, just maybe being manipulated, maybe getting into the, a wrong relationship with someone he shouldn't begin into a relationship with, maybe going, sure, there's some issues with you, but let me partner with you. I mean, it's interesting because there's so much application in this, right? I, I don't know how many men and women I love who like talk to me about their horror stories of getting into business with the wrong person. And the idea is like, listen, I'm just saying we as followers of Jesus do need to be wise. Like not everyone has the same ethics. Not everyone has the same belief system you have. They might not conduct business the way you would do it. This is kind of the problem with Jehoshaphat getting involved with Ahab. Ahab's going to do things that in a sense will compromise him. But yet Jehoshaphat does learn from it. He does grow from it. But again, you might, I've seen really good men do really dumb things. That's Jehoshaphat. Really good guy. Just doing something kind of dumb. 
There's a New Testament spin. Obviously, you might know this, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? How does that apply so much to this? Righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Just saying, be wise. Be wise, maybe who you develop this deep, uh, whether partnerships with, relationships with. Your sons are going to get married. They're going to be super, their son and their daughter are going to get married super tight. Almost destroyed the line of Judah. Almost destroyed the Messiah coming from him, as we know it. Obviously, God is sovereign. Obviously, God is big. Obviously, God spares us from that, thankfully. But it started with a really good guy just being really manipulated. So, hey, Jehoshaphat, come on, man. Come with me. Let's go. Ramoth Gilead, you know that belongs to us. That is ours. And so what does he do? He gets 400 prophets, right? So Ahab gets his 400 prophets, and he's like, hey, guys, is is, uh, God in this? And they say in verse 6, go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Like, yes. By the way, um, these guys are on, like, his payroll, okay? You're not going to get somebody like, oh, I don't think you should go. Like, oh, okay, off with his head. Like, no, you're going to want to say, they're going to want to say what the king wants to hear. Just to say, hey, what do you want to hear? Let's just say that. I even love at the end of the story how, like, they put the horns on and they start, like, running around. They're very theatrical. He's like, just like I'm, you're, I'm pushing with these horns, you're going to push the king away. And it's like, they're just like loud, they're dancing, it's crazy. And it's like, okay, God must be in this. But there's 400 saying the same thing. Whenever you see like the majority or multitude saying the same thing, that should concern us. Should be like, hey, wait a second, why is everyone saying the same thing here? There's something that like some flag should go up in this. I really want you to think about who did um, Ahab surround himself with? I mean, he surrounded himself with some wicked people, some false preachers, some false prophets. Those are the people he went to advice for. 400. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. He has compa- the companion of fools. Again, God has been so gracious to Ahab. I'm truly amazed by it. Ahab's, I mean, evil. The most evil king. God has delivered him from the Syrians twice. There should never have been a third battle. They should have been wiped out. God has been so good to to Ahab. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And here he is, surrounded himself with foolish people, taking their insight. I love this about Jehoshaphat. It's kind of funny. He's like, "Uh, is there anyone else? Verse 7. Look at that. Jehoshaphat said, "Uh, is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Like a prophet of the Lord, like the prophet of Yahweh. Not like of Adonai, there's actually a play on words. Not just like a prophet of some sort of master, but is there any specific communicators of Yahweh himself? Like, let's seek him, right? Like, I need another voice here. And then, again, Ahab's like, yeah, there's one, but I just hate that guy. What does he say? Verse 8. There's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me but evil. Yeah, it's probably because there's nothing good to say. Like, that's the idea. Like, I love that he's like, it's almost so, he's so unaware. He, has, he never has anything good to say about me. Jehoshaphat's like, let's hear from that guy. I want to hear from him. Listen, there, there's 400 voices saying the same thing and one person willing to say the hard thing, right? I wrote it down this way. It's better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie, right? It's better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. You know, let's be honest. Everyone here likes to be liked. It, it, there's nothing wrong with that. You sh- it's kind of weird. Someone's like, no, I really love it when people hate me. You're like, you're a psychopath, okay? Like, it's okay to w- want people to like you. It's okay to, like, not want to, you know, rock the boat sometimes. But in reality, that could be such a dangerous thing, like that people-pleasing almost mentality. I don't want to say the hard thing. Do the hard thing. I won't challenge. I won't question. Okay, what's the flow? I'll go with the flow. We need people who are willing to say and do the hard things. 
we need people to say, hey, I know that everyone's going in this direction. I know the multitude of prophets are going in that direction, um, but not me. I know this is common. I know this is the idea, but I will say and do the hard thing. Proverbs 27, 6, you know this verse probably well, but he talks about faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Just that idea of like, man, we need those friends who will say and do the hard thing. You know what I love about my wife now being married 15 years? Um, we will say, she'll say the hard thing. It's so good. It's fun. It's funny to me. My wife goes, hey, you know your graves if when you're talking there's food in your teeth. I'm like, wait, what does that mean? She calls out the whole family. She's like, uh, that's like your thing, you know? She's like, when you guys talk, there's just broccoli staring at everybody in the eye. And I'm like, oh, that's great to know. Thank you. But she's, she's the one like, who will just be like, hey, you know, got something. Like, come on. Don't. I, I love it because she will always point out. She'll, she's not afraid to shy away. The point, I guess, of that is like, listen, I love that. I need that. We need that, guys. We need people who will be like, hey, there's something off. Look at this. Be aware. This is not good. We need someone to say like, hey, I love you. I care for you. But this one thing or this one area of your life, this is going to lead to destruction. Like, I know everyone's cheering you on and saying, yeah, go for it. Do it. But like, maybe you haven't considered this. Listen, we got to value those people a little bit more. Like, it's very easy to surround ourselves with people who will say what we want to hear. It's very easy to be like, yes, please tell me already what I know and what I want to hear. It is funny to me when you do see people kind of go from, like, advice shopping, like, okay, I'll go to you, I'll go to you, I'll go to you, I'll go to you. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe you, you limit that a little bit, or maybe you, you actually gravitate towards those who will say the hard thing. The thing that basically is challenging you to grow. Challenging you to, to do the hard thing. You know, Paul had this issue with the Galatians. In Galatians 4.16, here's what Paul says to them. I found this fascinating. Paul says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Paul's like, guys, you're going back into legalism. You're going back to the law. You think the law will save you? Only Jesus Christ and crucified will save you. You think, the, the, you think salvation's of works? No, that which began in the spirit cannot be made perfect in the flesh. Paul's like, what are you doing? And he's like, have I become your enemy because I, I tell you the truth? As soon as you maybe really stand for truth, you might become someone's enemy. We just have to be aware of that. As soon as you start speaking the word of God or start speaking truth, listen, be aware that you will shake things up a bit. I love what one pastor, one author said about this idea. He goes, it is ironic, Rod Mattoon, he says, it is ironic that people don't like to be lied to or deceived, yet when you tell them the truth about salvation and hell, they are offended. It's just, it's ironic, right? Don't lie to me, tell me the truth. Don't tell me that truth. I do not want that truth. And the idea is we just got to be aware. Like as soon as you say, hey, I love you and I care. And it's not like sometimes you'll, you will see people out on the corner, hold up a sign, saying something. You're like, maybe what you're saying is true. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe what you're saying is true. But even the way in which you're doing it, maybe that is not the way. I think Colossians 4, 6, where he says, let your speech be with grace, but seasoned with salt. Colossians 4, 6 is based on, hey, speak it in a way that's filled with grace, but the salt is that truth. Like, how do, how do you actually care for the person, love the person, concern for the person, but you're willing to throw that salt in there, like it's going to sting that open womb a little bit? Truth does hurt, obviously. Jesus made it clear. Jesus in John 8 had this beautiful just chapter on truth, and he's like, hey, and that truth will set you free. I'm the truth, and that truth will make you free. The point is this. Um, we do understand people, I think, want to push us to live in a world that is very gray, but I do believe that things possibly, and this offends people right away, this, I think things are actually more black and white than we realize. Are there difficult conversations that maybe are nuanced or multifaceted? Absolutely. And we should approach it that way. But there are certain things like, you know, I don't know if that's a great, I think we try to make everything a great issue and maybe that is black and white. And there's a battle right now over so many different ideologies. And as followers of Jesus, there has to be this con deep concern. It's like, I know what the multitude is saying, but I am willing to say and do the hard thing. I am willing to say that, you know what, Jesus is the only way. 
I'm willing to say that there is no, no one comes to the Father except through him. I'm willing to say that God made us male and female in his image, and that is beautiful. And that is binary, male and female. My point is, like, we got to say, yes, I'm sure there are people who are hurting. We got to love them and meet with them where they're at. We cannot shy away from truth at the same time. And there's 400 people saying one thing, and there's, this is Micaiah, <laughs> who's, we're going to see what he, he says in a moment, but who's willing to say the hard thing. Here, here's the idea. Jesus said it so clearly in John 17, 14. John 17, Jesus said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I've given them your word. The world hates them. They hate me. They're going to hate you. We, we do understand this. This is bizarre, right? Um, the church should be the most loving people on the planet and probably will be the most hated people on the planet according to Jesus. My point is because if you are loving someone, you will say and do the hard thing as well. I love my kids. I love them. I don't ignore their issues and flaws, though. I will address them. I'll speak into them. My point is, like, if you love someone, that does not mean you ignore or dismiss or only affirm. It means you're willing to do the hard work as well. Jesus says, I've given them your word, and the world's going to hate them. As they have hated me, they're going to hate you. This is bizarre, because I do think sometimes in the, like, the church today, it's like the church doesn't want to be hated. You have to understand, as soon as you and I just say, I believe there's a God, and this God walked among us, his name is Jesus, so there's one God, and you can only know him through the person of Jesus, that really is exclusive language. But what's inclusive is everyone can experience that. Like, I love it. The gospel's exclusive and inclusive. Isn't that cool? The gospel's exclusive only through Jesus, but it's available to all. Inclusive. It's everything. It's only through the person of Jesus, but everyone can know him. You can know him. My point is the truth does kind of divide the line at times, and that does offend people. My point is like, church, listen, um, bless, Jesus said this, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. There will be times like, listen, I love you, I care for you, but I can't shy away from the hard thing. Let me say the hard thing. And it's like, I'm offended. I know. Blessed are those who are not offended because of Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Jesus is like, hey, um, don't be an offended generation. We're the most offended generation. Everything offends us. And Jesus is like, blessed are those who are not offended because of me, because of me. Listen, if you're standing for Jesus, if you're standing for Jesus, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to say. Like, listen, I love you. I care for you, but I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to say the hard thing. I'm willing to do the hard thing. Adrian Rogers so famously said, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. Yes, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. 400 people, but one guy. Listen, the multitudes will say what you want to hear. But the number two, the people of God say what you need to hear. So let's keep reading. Can we keep going? Are you guys okay? Welcome to the exchange. Uh, verse 13. Verse 13. This is so beautiful. Listen to this. I love this. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, look what he says, verse 13. This is so funny. Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he, Micaiah, answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. He's being incredibly sarcastic. Do you know the Bible has sarcasm? I don't know if you know that. All right. I love it. The king, look at verse 16. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He's like, yeah, go up. 
He's like, you're, no, send me the truth. He goes, okay, verse 17. He, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace, saying, uh, you're going to die. Everyone's going to be scattered. Verse 18. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, he looks at Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Stop there. I love this. So the, the guy comes to him and he goes, by the way, the messenger goes, Micaiah, everyone's saying really good things to the king. We're all in one accord. Can you please speak favorably? Like, I love that prep work, right? I don't know if you've ever had anyone do that to you. Like, hey, don't rock the boat. Please don't be that person. You're always that person. Micaiah, please don't do that. Like, just, just say what everyone else is saying. And I, I just think that is absolutely just speaks into this moment this time. Like, please don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that will divide us at this point in time. Like, it, it, okay, this just has to be said. I, I love Jesus for so many reasons. He is the one who's always around poor people, serving, loving, helping, healing, preaching, communicating, but he's also the one who says the things you're like, what, Jesus, what did you just say? Listen to this, Matthew 10, 34. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Huh? Jesus, just before that, says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. That's pretty binary. That's pretty either or. He goes, you, you got it. It's either one or the other. You either confess me before men or you don't. And he goes, I, you think I came to bring peace? I came to bring a sword. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, that's the same Jesus. That's the same Jesus. My point of just even reading this to bring this out is like Jesus is saying, listen, I, why would I shy away from truth if the truth is going to make you free? Why would I shy away from saying the hard thing if that's the thing that will tr- bring true liberty, true freedom to your life? Why would I not say that? Why would I not go there? As hard as the truth might be at times, that could be the best thing for people. So Micaiah says it so clear in verse 14. He says, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I'll speak. Hear that. Is that not a good verse? It's like just right, kind of like on the forefront of your mind, like every day, like whatever the Lord says to me, I'm going to speak. I can't shy away from that. God, if you put it, if you've said it to me, I got I to communicate it. I got to do it. He's just saying, I'm not going to hide the truth. I'm not going to shy away. Like, Lord, if you've said this, I got to do this. Paul said this so famously in his very last letter to Timothy before he's beheaded. He's saying to a young pastor in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, listen to this. Paul says, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke exhort with all long suffering be patient and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables but you be watchful in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry everyone say amen he's saying timothy do not realize that in the last days there will be a generation that will heap up for themselves teachers that basically will play into their itching. What they want to hear, they're going to hear. They if they say, no, 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 but you're saying something different that I don't like. He goes, you be that guy, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Be patient in that. You know, it's not like you're, you're saying to them in an evil or in a disgusting way or hurtful or hateful way, but this is the truth. He's like, no, convince. Guys, I think the church could do a lot better. How do we convince? How do we rebuke? How do we exhort and build up? How do we do that with all long suffering and patience and teaching? He goes, this is your job. This is your role. Speak the truth because there's a generation that just is going to look for people that will say what they want to hear. 
And listen, I get that. There is that desire to go, hey, I feel a certain way about a certain topic. How do I find a person that fits my worldview? How do I find some pastor, some author, some writer that will write about a topic in a way in which I want to hear it? Maybe we need to expose ourselves to the other side. Maybe you need to say, you know what, I really want this to be true, but what is true? I want the Word of God to say this, but maybe I should do my best to not make it say something, but I want to expound on it and know what is it saying. And I think that is the moment we're going to make. We have to fight for that. There's been some different books I've noticed going around within the church or within like South Florida. And a lot of times it's authors or leaders or people who are just saying, let me give you what you want to hear, but let me put some academic language behind it so it'll just affirm your belief system. But maybe you need to read the counter to that as well. Maybe we should explore that. Here's what it's basically saying. It's better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with the multitude. It is better to stand alone with the truth. Micaiah, Micaiah's like, you know what? Whatever God says to me, I have to say. Guys, I like this guy. There's, that's not normal. If the Lord tells me to say it, I'll say it. The multitudes will say what you want to hear. I'm going to say what you need to hear. And again, this is not a way to be filled with pride or weird arrogance or weird like looking down on others. This needs to be done so graciously in humility and love, but you still cannot shy from the truth. Like I don't want you to hear an arrogant heart in that. I want you to hear this heart of, but if God has told me to say it, I have to say it. It's not, again, it can sometimes come out in this weird, prideful, arrogant, like, and I get why people go, I don't like the church. They sit with so much disdain in their voice. They sit with so much arrogance. We have to be so careful. That's why he says, say this with all long suffering. Say this with all patience. You, you, yes, stand for truth, but be long-suffering in it, Timothy. Convince. Take some time. Work with people. It might not happen overnight. It might take months and years. My point is, like, sometimes we as Christians want to see people change overnight or a belief system or thought about God or whatever. It might take some time. Be patient. You know why we do something called Alpha? We do something called Alpha the last two years. We're going to do it this year in the fall. Alpha is a way for us to dialogue about the big questions of life, about God, about Jesus, about Scripture, about all these things really specifically. The point is, we don't want to just do drive-by evangelism. Like, do you want to believe on Jesus and be saved? No? Okay, I'm going to go to someone else. Like, no. What if we actually slowed down and worked with people and said, come on, I want to listen. What, what do you have against Jesus or Christianity? What, what frustrates you about the Bible? Let's go there. Let's talk about it. Like, I'm willing to not shy away from the truth. I'm willing to press in a little bit. So there's an idea like convincing takes a while. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Church, I want you to I want you to hear this. Like our role and our job is not just shove truth down people's throat and run away. It's like you don't believe this, well, I'm not gonna even talk to you anymore. But it's a way for us to say, like, no, I'm not gonna shy from the truth, but I'm gonna walk with you for a while. Because you know what's funny? This is not Micaiah and Ahab's first rodeo. Oh, Micaiah, <laughs> we've had we have a long-standing relationship. But the point is, like, we should take it should take some time. You guys follow me on that. There's something that's really said uniquely to me that's really interesting. Uh, in verse 16, I want you to hear what the king said. The king said, verse 16, to him, to Micaiah, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Because this is funny. The guy's like, Micaiah, can you just say the thing the king wants to hear? And so Micaiah so sarcastically is like, yes, go, the Lord is with you. And it's funny that Ahab knows, like, you're lying. You're lying to me. He's like, that's right, I am lying. I see sheep without a shepherd, right? Like, it's just funny because Micaiah has to, he's like sarcastic in it. The king is frustrated by that. The reason why I'm pointing this out is like the king knew what he was doing was wrong. Because for the king to say, Micaiah, why do you withhold this truth from me? For the king to say that, he knew what he was doing is wrong. Can I tell you, we don't need to push too hard. I think people know what they're doing is wrong. Like, no, I don't know. There is something really unique that Paul says in Romans 2. He goes, no, no, there is the law of God on people's conscience today. John 16, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin because they don't believe in me. I do believe that God right now is working on people without me. 
God right now is the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. What sin? That they don't believe in Jesus. God right now is working on people. Paul says it this way in Romans 2. Listen to this, Romans 2.14. For when Gentiles, not saved people, when Gentiles is the language he's using, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts uh, accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's people I've talked to where like, I don't even have to push. I'm like, you know what you're doing. You, you know what you're doing is wrong. You know that your belief on the system, I don't even have to, like, you know. Like, really? Do you really believe that? Come on, like in your heart of hearts. Like, they have to convince themselves of that. Because why? The, the law is written on their hearts. There is this sense where, listen, God will use people to speak what they need to hear, but God will also use people's conscience. I do believe that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Convicting. Like, there's something seared in them. It's funny. Um, if you guys remember Martin Luther, he had to stand up kind of before, like, the, the Catholic Council and give an explanation for why he believes what he believes. And, and it's like the Edict of Worms. And he said so famously, I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. There is this thought of like, hey, hey, uh, Micaiah, come on, man. I know, you and I both know you're not telling me the truth. Why? Because he knew the direction he was going in was not right. And I, and I think there is something about that. Like, sometimes I just need what I need, I need to do. I need to just bring them Jesus and the solution. It's like, hey, you know. But can I tell you there's a solution? There's an answer. His name is Jesus. He's good. He's loving. He's patient. He's the way. He's the truth. Like my point's like, maybe someone doesn't need a lot of pushing. Maybe they just need the truth being shared with them. And he shares that with him. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're right. I saw all of the people scattered with like, like, a, shepherd, like a sheep without no shepherd. And it says in verse 18, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he'd prophesy, he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He's like, I knew this guy would do that. I knew he'd do that. Listen, the people of God say what you need to hear. Now, here's what's interesting. The story gets really good. We're going to end with this, this last half. Verse 19, pick up with me. It's number three. Uh, we see the word of God does what it says. Here's what I mean. R verse 19, here's what happens. So, this is what's so great. Micaiah said, and he kind of gives this overall vision he had. Micaiah said, verse 19, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Verse 23, therefore... Behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. They're saying this because the Lord told them to say this. Verse 24, then Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Hits him and he goes, where's the spirit now, huh? Verse 25, Micaiah said, behold, you shall see that on that day, when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, seize Micaiah and take him back to Am Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, listen, if you return in peace, King Ahab, if you come back in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, here 
all you peoples. Verse 29, here it is, the battle. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Here's the thing, Jehoshaphat goes, against Micaiah's word, he goes. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, (laughs) this is so dumb. Sorry, my commentary is lame, but I love this. This is so dumb. I will disguise myself, Ahab says, and go into battle. But but you, Jehoshaphat, wear your robes. (laughs) And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. How does he not see what he's doing? You wear your robes. You be seen in battle, but I'm going to be disguised. Verse 31. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots. He says, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. I don't care if you come across anyone else that's great, a.k.a. king of Judah. I don't care. I only want the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, oh, it is surely the king of Israel. They see these kingly robes. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he, Ahab, said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood and the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset, a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died, Ahab died. It was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Okay. The word of God does what it says. A lot was there. I do want to address this vision that Isaiah has, or that Micaiah has. He sees the Lord, and he sees the hosts of heaven, and they're saying, we got to get this guy Ahab to fall. Why? Ahab was supposed to destroy the Syrians not once, but twice. This is the third time. It's done. Here's the great sin that Ahab committed in the previous chapter. He kills a guy named Naboth so innocently. God says, you know what? Where he died, you're going to die. Your blood's going to be licked up by the dogs where the blood licked up these dogs. God warns him and says this is going to happen. Now, this idea of this lying spirit, think of Job chapter 1. Think of not just angels, but think of fallen spirits. Think of how God used that conversation with Job and Satan. And Satan's like, well, let me get to Job, God. Let me get to him, and I'll wreak havoc in Job's life, essentially. This is kind of that same dynamic. There's a lying spirit, not an angel, not a heavenly good side, but there's like the demonic spirit saying, hey, let me go lie to him. And God's like, that will be the purpose in which we're going to use. Why do these 400 prophets use them to convince him? Uh, you go, God used this? Yeah, God did use this. This is this idea of God's like, yeah, he already wanted to go in that direction. We're going to let him go in that direction. You see that so often in scripture. You want to keep going that way? We're going to let you go that way. You want to do what you want to do? Go ahead. We have a God who loves us, but does not force us into that love. We have a God who's like, you want to keep walking away? You can walk away. So they convince the foreign prophets. Micaiah's like, you know what, Ahab? If you come back tomorrow, I'm a liar but you're not going to come back tomorrow. Micaiah's beaten. He's thrown in prison. We see verse uh, 29. So the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. That's fascinating because Jehoshaphat, I love you, dude, but how did you not see that coming? Hey, you, you wear your kingly robes. I'm just going to be like, you know, I don't know, just no, a nobody. So, okay, cool. It's like you're going to stand out like a sore thumb during battle. But the commander already made it really clear. I don't want anyone but Ahab. 
Small or great, I don't want anyone but him. So they come, they realize it's Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. We don't want him. Where's Ahab? And I love this. Verse 34 is so profound. Listen, a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. This is the most unrandom, random arrow. You know this was not random. Because we, this is fascinating to me. The way it's portrayed is like, we don't know where he is. This guy shoots a bow at him, gets between the joints of his armor, kills Ahab, well, essentially w- mortally wounds him. He's propped up. He's trying to bring hope to him. He's in the back of the chariot being ridden, meaning he's trying to show his guys, like, you keep fighting. I'm just going to rest over here. Um, but we you know he eventually bleeds out and dies. The idea, though, of that is like there is no random arrow that goes out when God speaks. It is fascinating to me that some things seem to appear to be random. But if God says it, it's not random. Like, meaning we knew that this was going to happen. Micaiah prophesied it. Elijah prophesied it in the previous chapter. Ahab, you're going to die. The dogs are going to lick up your blood. You've disobeyed God time and time again. God showed grace to Ahab because he's like, I'm not going to destroy your sons off. Your sons shouldn't even be king. I'm going to let them do their thing. Well, eventually they're going to be destroyed, he says, but not you. The point of this is that this arrow, which appeared to be sent out random, obviously was divinely directed by God. And I really think that we understand this. Listen, you and I cannot hide ourselves from God in any way. How do I hide myself from God? Like, he's like, I'm going to hide. I'm going to be disguised. God won't know. Like, it's weird. You can trick these men from knowing who the real king is, but you cannot trick God. When people hide themselves, do you understand that everything is open and seen? It is funny to me. It's, it's just ironic. It's weird how, like, why do I think we sin at night? Because I think we feel like it's hidden. Everything's exposed. Everything's open. Hebrews 4.13 says, there is, no, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's nothing hidden. Like, so don't think for a moment this will not be known. This will not be seen. No one's going to find me. Look at my disguise. It's pretty legit. I love this random arrow that's not so random. I love this idea that you're like, well, how did that happen? It's funny to me, just, I don't know. I've had so many moments, I don't even want to give certain examples because it's too weird, but I'll run into people. I'm like, why are you here? I'm like, I don't know, why are you here? Like, where I mean, like, I was on a cruise one time, and I, I ran into this person I knew, and I could see, like, the fear of, like, almost like, I hate you, hate you, so I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm like, oh, cool, I didn't say you were. Were you? <laughs> like, what is that? Like, this, like, what is, it's just funny to me. I'm like, I, I don't know. My point is, like, there seems to be things that seem to be random. Maybe it's not random. Maybe you're like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And God's like, I know it seems like this random arrow was shot, but it revealed, it exposed this. The point is, is this, um, there's nothing random with God. God's like, I can direct that random arrow. So the point I think you know is, why do we try to hide from a God we cannot hide from? Why do we try to keep things secret? It's like, hey, bring it open, bring it to the open. Hey, you can't, you can't trick the crowd. You, you can maybe trick them, but you're not gonna trick me. This is what it said in Isaiah 55, 11. God says, my word, uh, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. This is, we have to understand, if God says it, if God speaks it, it's going to happen. In the previous chapter, 22, verse 38, it says, the dogs licked up his blood, Naboth, while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. Sorry, it's 22. Verse 21 says, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. God's hold this to Ahab, in the place where Naboth died and his blood was being licked up by the dogs, the same place your blood's going to be licked up by the dogs. God's like, if I say it, it's going to happen. It's going to accomplish its purpose. You can run, you can run, but you cannot hide in this sense. 
Here's Micaiah speaking truth, speaking fire. Listen, God has been so patient with Ahab. I really do wonder, what if Ahab actually heard Micaiah and said, you know what, Micaiah, I'm not going to go. Like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. We do see God in Scripture not repent, but relent. We do see that with the Ninevites. We said so often, people are saying, you know what, we, we repent of our sin. God's like, well, this was going to happen, but I won't relent. Because also, this is how I work. If you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you your sin. But here's the same thing. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Hey, do you get it? Do you get it, Ahab? What you've sown, you're going to reap. The dogs and the blood of this guy you murdered, you're also going to reap that. You not believe in my word, that's going to happen. Whatever you sow, you're also going to reap. This random arrow was not so random. However, what I do love about the New Testament is this idea that God's like, I see sin. You cannot hide your sin. The arrow of judgment is going out. But can I tell you, we have Jesus who actually took that blow. That in a sense, what if it hit Jehoshaphat? In a sense, Jesus is the one who says, hey, you know what? This random arrow of judgment that goes out, I will take it. I will be stricken so that you can be cleansed, that you can be healed. I will take the blow. I will fall. I will die in battle so that you can be saved. In the New Testament, it is different. We do have someone who took our place of judgment. He tried to get Jehoshaphat to do that, but for us in the New Testament under grace, we have someone who took our place of judgment, and his name is Jesus. And that arrow does not have to strike you because it struck Jesus. The point being is either you, either you reap uh, the, the, your, your sin or Jesus took that for you. Either you suffer the consequences of your sin or you realize Jesus took that for you and for me. And we have something so much greater. Listen, Micaiah was a guy who spoke truth in a time where it's really hard to speak truth. We really need people who are willing to speak truth when it's hard to speak truth. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm just going to take some time. We want to just do something different. We want to pray. We want to invite you up for prayer if you'd like prayer. If you go, you know what? I need to know someone who took this wrath of God for me, and his name is Jesus. We want to pray for you. If you say, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm compromising in my faith, and I don't want to compromise anymore in my faith. Um, we would love to pray for you. We want to take some time just to close out and worship. Also pray over just Fort Lauderdale and the people there, and like not just be a church that says, hey, let's help with needs. Like Let's actually pray and do and give and serve. And so um, we're just going to close at our time by just responding to this. God, raise up a generation of men and women who are not going to be compromised in a compromised world. Yes, but let's just pray and worship. Father, we just need you. We want to say thank you. God, we thank you for the Micaiahs of this world who will just say what it is you tell them to say. God, we thank you so much for the fact that we can learn from this, God, that you will not be mocked. Lord, we want to not sow just stupid things, Lord. We don't, we don't want to sow just into our flesh, but we want to sow into our spirit, Lord. We want to reap fruit. God, I just ask that um, you would be blessing the families right now that are just um, really tearing apart their home or cleaning up their home or ripping off drywall or just fixing Jesus. We ask for your provision. God, we ask for the church to come alongside them. God, we ask for salvations through this, this sense of losing a home. How terrible is that idea? Your kids having their toys ruined, everything. We just ask that Jesus, um, you would just meet these families right now. Lord, we just ask that you would meet us now. God, thank you that you divinely send out arrows to us because that actually can, Lord, we ask that today that would wake us up that God, that you would actually wake us up to what matters and what's important. And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you. We love you. We need you. It is your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Listen, if you want to sit, stand, worship, come up for prayer, we're just going to spend some time closing out in prayer. So let's do that. Let's, let's worship.